Well, um, in, uh, in honor of the Reformation uh, on Sunday, what a great, great evening. If you didn't get a chance to be here for the, the Reformation Fair, um, first time we've done that here at the church. We've been doing that for a couple of years over at TCS, and Pastor Matt and all the guys just did a, a tremendous job. Um, the Kellys, just so many, too many to name, um, but... Just heard great things from folks that uh, that went through. I don't know of any church that does that. Um, I can't take any credit whatsoever for uh, for the idea, but it uh, it's great. Just grows every year, and just introduces folks to uh, to an aspect of church history that's that is vital. And um, so our video this morning is uh, uh, an overview of the Reformation. It's only like three or four minutes long by the the late. Dr. R.C. Sproul, um, Brothers with His Reward, but it's good. If you, I would recommend, uh, it's a promo for Ligonier in the end, but, but he talks about the purpose of the Reformation to begin with. And if you don't, if you have somebody that has no idea what it's even about, it's a, it's a good introduction. Um, we're not Lutherans, and so we don't, uh, um, you know, exalt Martin Luther or any of the other Reformers for that matter. It's, uh, it's what they what they discovered from the scriptures, what they, what they stood for. In fact, while the reason it's important um, is because the, the Reformation is still going on today. Um, the Catholic Church is, um, is still the Catholic Church, uh, and Satan's added a lot of other um, uh, ugly errors to, to go along with it. But um, uh, you're... Uh, I wouldn't even consider us, uh, in a technical sense, Protestants. Uh, the term uh, Protestant, you probably hear the word protest. Um, and so to be a Protestant, you're protesting the Catholic Church. You came out of the Catholic Church. We were never in the Catholic Church. We're, our history is not Anabaptist. Um, our history is uh, English, Baptist, Puritans, but... Um, um, and there, God always had a remnant, so it wasn't like everybody went dark 100% and then the light was rediscovered. Uh, the Lord has always had his church. There's always been the truth that uh, goes all the way back to, to the apostles. But for the vast majority, when Catholicism had a death grip on everything, it was dark. So the remnant was, 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 a, was a candle flicker, if you will, and then God just broke all of that open with... Um, with reformers all over Europe, and then obviously that influenced us in a significant way here, the founding of our uh, of our nation, and and um, we know that that's going in a in an ugly direction. Trusting the Lord and all of that. What is the church's role? Um, at the same time, just not being stupid, you know, or ignorant. You still have a responsibility. We're talking about the voting going on over there. That's your biblical responsibility to to do so. We're um, but at the same time, you're, you're called to, to be a Christian. So what are the biblical commands that God gives a Christian? That's how you're supposed to act, whether you're a Christian in a communist country or you're a Christian here. So you have, uh, uh, you can really boil it down to, you know, to, to be that simple. What does the Bible command me to do as a Christian, regardless of who is uh, ruling over me? But I don't think that... Um, that you can really push the gas pedal down and put a lot of uh, of weight on Romans 13 and uh, 
1 Peter 2, submit to the government, submit to the government, submit to God who ordains the government. It's a better way of, of, of saying it. Uh, and even when you have to go against the government, you're still submitting to God because you're submitting to whatever the consequences are. You're submitting to a higher authority. So that doesn't mean just wrote, do whatever you know, they, they say to do. You, you submit to God through the authorities that are, that are over you. But I don't think that you can really hold strongly to that and, and then say absolutely nothing about, about voting, about your responsibility as a citizen and otherwise. And you'll hear a lot of that. Ah, submit to the government, submit, the, submit to God because he's ordained the authorities and then hear absolutely nothing about the fact that you can influence that in some way from a human standpoint. We know the Lord ultimately is sovereign over all things and we rejoice in that. But um, don't... Uh, use that as your go-to verse and then neglect your responsibility um, to be part of, that, uh, part of that process. We know it doesn't change the heart. You looking for where to vote? It's in the other building right over there in the Green Field. Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah. That was actually a woman. She probably felt really out of place this morning. <laughs> it's like... No voting booths and all men. This is, where am I at? Yeah. So, yeah, so those are, uh, um, the, the God has ordained things in, um, in the world in order to, uh, to cause things to function. And part of his grace is even in a fallen world. Um, Romans 13 talks about bearing the sword you know, promoting good and punishing evil. There's no purpose for that in the garden. In the garden, there is no sin. There is no evil. There's no need for a sword. And so there are certain things that God's ordained for the earth in order to, in order to, to, to be gracious, even to fallen mankind. Um, so the authorities are God's grace to, to all. It doesn't change your, your heart. Um, Sin is in the heart. You need a heart change, but it does restrain it. It, it mitigates it. it. It keeps it in check if it functions properly. That's the purpose for it. And so you're actually loving your neighbor by promoting just laws and, and doing those kinds of things because it, it, it keeps it in check. Now, you obviously doesn't solve the ultimate problem. As you see, <laughs> the human heart even wants to throw that off. It's one of the last vestiges of, you know, that it attempts to do. Um, attacks the conscience first, removes that internal warning system that God's created in all men, that you're, you're wrong. So it's done that for years through psychology and, and other things. You know, you're not a bad person. It's sickness. It's not sin. Attack the family because in the family, that's where you learn. The, you first learn about authority, submitting to your parents and um, the rod and all of those other things. My mother taught me of the authority of God very, very well with a chestnut switch, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, so the, the conscience and then the, you know, the family, and then the, the third is the, the authorities, police, those types of things. Um, if you don't learn how to submit to authority with your, your, your mom or your dad through the chestnut switch, you're, you're going to get confronted with the authority with a ticket or, uh, or jail or even worse. So God structured society in that way for, um, you know, for, for human beings to function in a, you know, in a fallen world. It 
regulates it. So you have even now people throwing all of that off, kicking against you know any type of authority, moving toward anarchy and otherwise. It's a rebellion against God. It's a rebellion from the heart. And and then the final one is the you know is the church. You're a, you have a sanctifying effect. The verse that everybody uses about being salt and light as a, as an individual. You know, the Church of Jesus Christ has a, you know, has a purifying uh, effect, if you will. Uh, light is is in the church. Believers that are in the church, and so um, you'll find that even being attacked at at some point. It's one of the last things to come at all three. So, um, open your Bibles to Psalm two this morning. We'll begin with our psalm and prayer. We'll watch our little video. And then we're going to get back into church discipline. Again, we're getting some practical aspects of it today. Questions and those type of things be really helpful, I think. Psalm 2. If you're reading Psalm 1 a day, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 go together. Psalm 1 introduces the Psalter. 150 songs, this is your, your biblical hymnal. And Psalm 1 introduces the two paths, the two ways to live, right? The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, and Psalm 2 follows that up. Um, and it is a call to the nations, to the Gentiles, to those outside of Israel to, to honor the, the Lord. Why are the nations in an uproar? And the peoples devising a vain thing. Nations as Gentiles, literally. Why are the Gentiles in an uproar? Um, those that are not Israel. And the peoples devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together. So, so this idea of the kings rising up, arraying in all of their all of their power and their pomp, and they counsel together, they all gather together against the Lord. So they're all going to come together and they're going to band together in order to array themselves in battle against the Lord and against his, his anointed, his Messiah, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Throw off all types of, of rule or, or authority or restraint. And what's the Lord's response to all the kings of the earth with all of their power and all of them gathering together? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger. So his first response is like in the Tower of Babel. If you go to the Tower of Babel passage in Genesis 11, uh, there's irony there where all of the, the humans come together and they say, we're going to build a tower that reaches into the heavens. And they've built this tower that reaches into the heavens. You know, the, the greatest accomplishment that human beings can, can bring together. And it says, and the Lord came down to see what they had done. You know, It's like he has to step down. <laughs> from heaven to see this wee little itty-bitty thing that's the greatest thing that human beings can accomplish. Same idea here. He sits in the heaven and scoffs and laughs. Are you kidding me? And uh, then he speaks. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, 
But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. This is a messianic psalm. So the Lord speaks, and what does he say? He says, you're not in charge, and you're not going to rule nations of the earth. The one who's going to rule is my king, and he's going to rule from Zion, from Jerusalem, from my holy mountain. And um, then he says to his king, he said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you, And he says, ask of me, and I will surely give the nations, the Gentiles, as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Um, The Lord will ultimately reign both over Jew and Gentile. And this is a verse that we normally use in mission conferences. And um, and yet you you really need to read a little bit farther. Um, Verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. This is talking about the, the judgment the Son's going to bring, um, not their salvation. And so there's an appeal before this happens. Verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, O kings that are taking counsel together and rising up against God, are you sure you want to do that? (laughs) Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. And rejoice with trembling and do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you uh, perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. All who take refuge in him like we have this morning. So let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that um, you woke me up from uh, sleep of death. You've opened my eyes to my sin. I am so thankful that you are long-suffering and that you don't bring immediate judgment for how many days I spent rejecting you, even cursing your name. I'm so thankful that you didn't strike me down like I deserved. And even beyond that, Lord, you, you, you didn't strike me down. You brought your mercy to me. You sent people to me to share the gospel with me. You, you gathered your people together in churches that I would drive by and, and see, um, maybe even like people are doing this morning um, with, with this group of men. And beyond that, you, you brought to me your grace. Oh, Lord, I was not looking for you. You found me, and I'm so thankful for that. What? grace upon grace upon grace and you saved us and you 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 showed us Jesus and his his righteousness and his work and you convicted us of our sin and we cried out to you and you you heard and you had mercy and we are we're thankful we we take refuge in your son we we do not rise up against you lord we humble ourselves today and give you thanks and and I pray that even as we talk about um, your church, the aspects of church discipline and 
And the things that are there, it's just because we want to honor you and we want to do what you say. You know best. We don't. The culture doesn't. Human beings don't. We, we just want to do what your word says. So teach us. Help me to be clear. Help us to learn. We love you. We need you. Um, we thank you for all the work that you've done from the time of Christ until now. You'd use us even in our day. Um, Lord, we do pray you'd have mercy on us in these elections. They, they come and they go. Kings rise and fall. You are the one that, that ordains, but you've given us responsibility. We don't want to be fatalistic, so we, we pray that, um, that you would show mercy to our state today, our commonwealth, that um, those that would honor you or would honor you the best would, uh, would be victorious and that you would use that for, for your gospel, but whatever it is, we, we love you, and we submit to you, and we trust you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's watch this little video, and then we'll get into our corporate... 500 years ago, a German monk named Martin Luther started a protest that exploded into a worldwide movement. At that time, Europe lived in the shadow of the Roman Catholic Church, and that was more like an empire than a church. It crowned and cast down kings and used its dominance to keep people in the darkness of superstition. That sounds pretty unfamiliar, but in some ways, Luther's day was very much like our own. Just like today, everyone had an opinion about the Bible, even though almost no one actually read it. Like so many of us, they were trusting the thought leaders and tastemakers of their own day to tell them what was in the Bible and whether or not to believe it. Luther was one of the very few people actually reading the Bible, and what he found was earth-shattering. Even though he was a monk, Luther hated the God of the Bible. And when he studied it, the world around him began to make sense. God made sense. The significance of Jesus became clear to him. He discovered the answer to his deepest questions. How could evil be overcome? Specifically, how could his own evil, his own sin, be dealt with? Luther discovered that he couldn't do anything to fix this problem himself. He had to rely on the finished work of Christ alone. Luther had discovered a central truth. It changed his life, and it changed the world. The Protestant Reformation was about two things. It was about who can say what's true, and it was about how to reconcile who we are with who God is. It recognized that God's Word is the ultimate authority in this world, and that the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ are the only answer for evil and the only basis on which sinners can stand before a holy God. Protestant Reformation is a story of transformation, a transformation from hate to love, from slavery to freedom, and from blind faith to a glorious discovery of the truth in Jesus Christ. Ligonier Ministries exists to cultivate this transformation in a new generation, in a day when few are reading the Bible and when confusion reigns in the church, we want to help Christians know what they believe and why they believe it how to live it, and how to share it. Join us. I thought that was a really good, simplistic way to uh, 
to describe the Reformation and um, might be helpful even for somebody that, uh, that you know that doesn't know much, uh, uh, much about it. So just in honor of Sunday, I thought we'd introduce with that since we've seen a number of videos on church discipline. So uh, turn to page 252 in your Grace and Granite books. And we're going to get into the church discipline process this morning. We've talked about objections to church discipline, responses to those objections, and we looked at the first duty, the personal purity and discipleship of others, because what we normally think about when we hear the term church discipline is just the tip of the iceberg, um, and, and we normally misinterpret that. Uh, Church discipline or church discipline happens all the time. It, it, it's happened in your life before. And yet what you probably think about is the, you know, the, the, the grumpy church dragging somebody by the scruff of the neck in front of the congregation and say, look at the sinner and throw them out. You know, that's, that's how the world views church discipline. That's, that's not church discipline. And that's not even what Scripture reveals. Um, the, the vast majority, 95% of church discipline happens without the congregation corporately even knowing about it because it's soul care. It's confronting one another. It's bearing one another's burdens. It's, it's caring about one another enough, being in, in, in discipling relationships with one another where we confront each other, provoke one another to, to love and, and good works. And Matthew 18 is normally the go-to text that walks us through the, the, the stages. So think of that like the, the scaffolding, the, you know, the, the racetrack, if you will. The, the, this is the big picture. But, but how you apply that is, 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 uh, is very specific uh, to individuals and in, in circumstances. We pointed out in Matthew 18 there's not even a list of sins that, that's there because the point is not you do this if somebody does this sin or that sin. The, the point is that as believers, people, we are, we're called to live under the authority of Christ in Scripture as a Christian. I mean, we've already settled the fact that the Bible is God's authority and now our authority because we now know who God is. And so knowing who God is and being reconciled with Him, we want to live for Him. Well, how do we know how to live for Him? Well, that's in the Scriptures. So salvation is two things. Remember the apostles preached in the book of Acts, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you've crucified, that God raised from the dead, He is Lord and Christ. Christ, the Savior, the one who can get you to God, reconcile you to God, forgive your sins. But He's something else as well. He's Lord, meaning He's God. So you can't get the, the you know, uh, get out of hell and go to heaven without the acknowledgement of who God is. And who he is is he's our master now. He's, he's, the, he's our creator. He's who we want to submit to. So how do you submit to him? What do you know? that I mean, how do you even know what he said? Well, that's, that's in the scriptures, the Bible. So what we have in Matthew 18 is just a call to bring everyone who professes that they know Christ. They're Christ's. And they, when they profess that they know Christ, they profess that He's Master, He's Lord, and that this is their authority. That's a call to bring everybody back under that authority who, who, who gets out of it. And, and you can drift out. You, you, can, you can run out. You, you, know, you, can, you can slip into sin. You can jump into sin. There's all different types of ways. But, but that's basically what that process is. It's... How do other individual believers 
bring each other back under the authority of that, that, that they've already confessed, already acknowledged. You don't apply church discipline to unbelievers. Why? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. Why do we expect an unbeliever to act like a believer? I mean, why does it surprise us that people are fornicating and cursing God and doing all those other things? They're lost. They're dead in their sin. You know, they need the gospel. But somebody who said that they've embraced the gospel and now they're a follower of Christ, why would we expect them to act like an unbeliever? They're not an unbeliever. They've already confessed Christ and they've named him. And so if they've named him and they get out from under, their life is incongruent with the Bible, then another Christian in a local church, because that's where the relationships happen, that's where the commitment happens, then we lovingly bring them back under that. And the vast majority of that happens under the water. It's only the, the part of the iceberg that's above ground, above water, that, that, you, that you see. So people normally think that that's all about, um, all about church discipline. So we went through uh, those types of things, and it's a vital part of, of a church. What type of church do you want to be in? You want to be in one where God's voice is the, is the primary voice, the voice that's heard in the church, one with qualified biblical leadership, and one that has kingdom membership um, manifested, which includes church membership and all the way what I just described in, in church discipline. So we've already been over this process a little bit as we've talked about it, so I'm not going to belabor it. I'm, I'm going to try to get through this, but if you have questions, and we'll take as much time as we need. But look at the bottom of page 252, the church discipline process. This is the most prominent teaching uh, on the formal steps of church discipline is described in Matthew 18, verses 12 through through 18. Beginning in verse 12, we see how important restoring the flock is. We leave the 99 healthy ones to go get the strays, straying from under Scripture. So somebody read for me, if you would, Matthew 18, verses 12 through 18, and we'll go through these four steps, four stages. Yes, sir. Did now when you think of the church when you think of church discipline naturally, just what you've heard, do you automatically associate it to a shepherd uh, going after a lost sheep? You, again, you normally think of it negatively, but but the way that this is 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 uh, put together with Jesus is is someone that who's strayed, someone who's wayward, and notice even the um, the uh, the symbol, the symbolism. 
it's a, it's a sheep, it's not a goat. So again, you're, and, and even in how it starts, if your brother, you see your brother in sin. So this is for the church. These are for believers. This is not to be applied to, to the unbelieving world. And, and the first step here is in leaving the 99 healthy and going after somebody who's strayed from Scripture is private confrontation. Now there are two keys here in A under step one. It's legitimate sin and perceived legitimate brother. That's, that's two, two keys. So it's legitimate sin. So there's no listing there. You only do this for liars or, or drunks or, or you know, uh, people who abuse authority or whatever it is. The, the, it's legitimate sin, though. So you, you, you need something in Scripture that you're bringing him back under. Remember, they, they've got out from under the text. So 1 Corinthians 4, don't add anything to Scripture. So this is not your preferences. You know, you, you saw them go to a PG-13 movie, or you know that they listen to you know, music with drums in it, or, or whatever else. They're, you, know, they're, they, they've, um, you can probably think of a number of things that fall into the categories of Romans 14 even better than I do. This is not preferential things. This is, these are not even things that uh, even believers may differ on, uh, differ on. I mean, we've been talking on Sunday night about eschatology, the difference between premillennialism, non-post. I mean, if you're a premillennial, uh, and, and you, which we are, it doesn't mean that somebody who has a different form of eschatology is, is not going to heaven. So you're not going to Matthew 18 somebody because you know, they're post-millennial. So these would be things that are clearly sinful or believing it will damn you. And that's a, that's a, a proper definition of heresy. One of the issues that the, the uh, independent Baptists, which we are movement, got into is, is kind of leveling everything out. You know, women wearing pants is on the same level as the deity of Christ rather than knowing that there's first truths and there's second truths and there's convictions and there's preferences and so we're talking about first truths matters. Uh, if you believe this, then you're outside of the gospel. If you believe this, you're not going to heaven. That, that's heresy. You know? And so you would confront somebody who's believing that type of, uh, of error, bringing them back under Scripture, or something that's a defined sin. So it's not, you know, Susie didn't say hi to me in the hall at church, or... You know, Bob didn't show up for uh, this when he said he would, and I'm mad over that. I mean, these are, you may have offenses between individuals that they need to be reconciled, but, but, but that's not reconciliation to, to Christ, like in this case. There could be sin happening in those, those examples that I gave. But the point is, you're confronting somebody with a Bible verse. You're confronting them with a truth of Scripture that they're out of order in, uh, or... There's a belief that's clear in Scripture that's going to, uh, you know, to harm their souls. That doesn't mean you don't engage on secondary matters and that it's not important to even talk about those things. You should talk about those things. Those things matter, but, but that's not a matter of church discipline where if they don't believe this, I'm going to get somebody else and bring and, you know, and, and, and go through the process. So private confrontation, legitimate sin, and then a perceived legitimate brother. One on one, go to him alone. Counsel uh, with church leadership is advisable. It's not always the case, but if you doubt it, uh, it's always better to just pull one of your pastors aside or, or, or somebody that, that is over you that you trust and just say, Hey, 
Um, this is going on, and I'm planning on going. Do you have any counsel for me? Um, because if you don't go the right way, you, you can you sometimes even create a bigger mess. So it's great that you want to go. Um, not necessary. People talk to each other all the time. You don't need to make an appointment with the pastor every time that you do that. But if you need counsel, feel free to get it. Um, it's private because damage has not gone wider. And if he repents, then you have won your brother. So the general principle is the scope of confrontation and the scope of even confession is the scope of the, of, of the sin, the knowledge of the sin. So if it's, if it's sin that nobody else knows about other than you, then you go to them, and then they confess to you and they confess to the Lord if you're party to the offense. They don't need to confess before the church or their Sunday school class or, or anybody else if, if, if the, 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 the scope of the sin has not widened there. So this is where the majority of church discipline happens in number one. Um, because two believers talk, and one of them falls under conviction, and they, you know, and they repent. And, and again, don't think of this mechanical. I mean, this is going to breakfast with somebody and 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 talking to them. I mean, sometimes it get feels kind of formal because you're confronting somebody, but um, yeah, you know, this is just life on life. Uh, step two, though. Yeah. Um, I think, first of all, you, you, know, you, you think of Galatians 6, 1 and 2, the way in which you go, which is what we talked about last time, the personal purity. You know, our first concern is that we're walking in personal holiness, and, and uh, Galatians 6 says that manifests, manifests in gentleness, you know, and you're considering yourself, so you're going in a matter of humility. Uh, so, you know, you're not going to get very far... Uh, um, you know, going in on a high horse, you know, it's, you're approaching somebody, recognizing you're a sinner too, and, and so that, that's even coming out in the way that you're talking to them. Um, you're not talking down to them, you're, you're talking on the, you know, on the same, you know, the same level. Um, so in a spirit of gentleness, so I think you can go in, in a, you know, hey, I, I need to talk to you about something, you know, kind of thing. Um, the other way is, uh, you know, is, is kind of uh, 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 being, you know, uh, avoiding it completely, being evasive. Um, you know, who am I? I'm a sinner like everybody else. So, I mean, that, that's not being faithful to them either. And um, one of the hardest things and most loving things that you'll do is, is confront, you know. And um, that's, that, it's vital. So, I mean, faithful are the wounds of a, of a friend. So you won't have confidence to do that if, if you aren't walking with the Lord yourself. Um, so that's where the, the personal purity component comes in. Um, on the flip side, uh, if, you're, if you're lifted up in pride, then, then it won't work uh, because you're, you know, you're coming in, a, you know, in, a, in an edgy way. Yeah, Mark?
You should have asked Mark that question because he just summarized it for us. So please go on. That's great. And you don't know. I mean, you can't see somebody's heart. You don't know their motives. So that's the other thing. Make sure that you don't impugn their motives. The only thing that we can see is the outward, the, you know, the action. The, 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 but you don't know why they're doing what they're doing. But a lot of times, we will import our ideas. We'll think we know what's going on. So, you know, you, you can't question somebody's motives. You don't have the ability to see that part. But you have the ability to see the fruit, you know. Or, or whatever is, you know, is, is out of order. So that's part of the gentleness, you know, component. So, yes, sir. I think it does, and I, I think that um, the against you really re- reinforces the the covenant relationship that we have with brothers and sisters in in a, in a local church. You know, because he says, "Tell it to the church." Um, so that doesn't mean that you know you if you know you're working with another Christian and you say, "Well, I see they're really doing this horrible thing," and you know they're out of line. And I'm not going to say anything because they're not my church. You know, but I do think that that. That, that 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 weighs a, a puts a little weight on the you know the the, the body of believers that, that that you're part of um but uh, but yeah so and i also think that the reason that you've got the against you or not against you depending on the you know the the text flow there is it's 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 private confrontation so but i don't think that's limited only to if you sin against me i'm going to you i do think you have a responsibility to other you know to other believers you know, to, you know, to go, um, because ultimately it's being told, you know, to the congregation, so, but that's a great question, um, you know, oversimplification, but we've said, I, I think, uh, Mahaney was the first person I heard say this, you know, your, your job, even as a church member, is, is to be a grace hunter, not a sin sniffer, so the idea is that, you know, you're not, you know, sniffing around and looking to see what, you know, what heresy and what error. Can I take somebody to lunch and, and just lay them out? You know, you probably need laid out if that's your attitude. Um, but it is that you care about each other enough where, where I mean, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing when somebody even asks a question about your spiritual life. And you wouldn't be offended about that if if you... You know, if you were probably rightly related to the Lord and knew your own heart, I mean, like, I need brothers to, you know, to, to do that and, uh, and and go through the process. So, did that scratch the itch or, Clay? Yep. And so when I go in, I, I'm seeing the motives, like you said. So it's really hard to 
No, did you hear what he just said? I think that's vital. Now we're talking about how do you confront? How do you go? What does the spirit of gentleness mean in humility? Well, it means you don't assume that you know even, even what's going on when you go in. So you're going in asking questions. You know, you're not assuming that they're bagged and tagged, is what Clay just said. You're going in going, I saw this, I felt this, I thought this. Can, can, can you explain, help me here? Um, and then, you know, love thinks no evil. So if they give you, you know, an answer, you may be corrected in that moment. You may go into something like this, intending to love them, and by the time you hear the answer to the question, you may be confessing to them rather than them confessing to you because you've got something completely wrong. And that obviously takes humility, doesn't it? So um, you don't know how that meeting is going to go. Um, so the way in which you go into it is, is ask a lot of questions, listen uh, before you, you, know, you draw conclusions. They say things like, it seems... Um, I, I, uh, you're not going in making declarative statements. I mean, obviously we're talking about things that need, you know, discovery. If you are aware and it's very plain, then then that's something different. Um, but, yeah, it's good. Yeah, Excellent. Before we go in and search for the speck in our brother's eye, which I think prepares ourselves for what you're saying. We're doing self-examination. Yep. We're realizing our own vulnerability, our own sin, yeah. and coming in with an attitude, not lording it over them, right. but as a humble sinner ourselves, yeah. as dependent on the grace of God. Yeah. And then, yeah. Amen. Yeah, it's a, uh, it is. It's the most loving thing that uh, that somebody can somebody can do for you. Um, which is why it says, if they hear you, you gain a brother. They're acting like a brother. That's that, that's what a sheep does. They hear the Lord's voice. They hear God's voice through even other sheep, and then they follow. Um, but if not, because of sin that's in their own heart, then um, then there may have to be additional resources brought to bear. Uh, the aim is, uh, you know, is to reclaim. So we're looking at um, number one. Look at step two. Any questions about number one? Any further about that? Yes, sir. So when I heard earlier that you said it's good to get counsel from mm -hmm. church leadership, right? Yep. Um, any godly person, for that matter, that would help you, like in this situation. Hey, am I thinking about this rightly? I saw this. You know, I'm offended in this way, or or I'm worried in this way. How, how would I how would I approach that? Yeah. So, but to avoid you know spreading rumors and gossip, just know somebody to help you. From is it, I'm guessing, be advisable to not name names. Just say, if someone was doing this, what would I do? In this? Yeah, you're talking about uh, you, you want to protect. The, the scope. So, I mean, I think the first thing I would say to that is, you know, you don't want to, um, 
a lot of, of gossip at times is, is couched in prayer requests. So, hey, pray for me. I, I got to go, you know, I got to confront old Mark here. And, you know, but, you know, it's just a private sin. <laughs> so be careful uh, about that. So I don't like the anonymous thing when you're talking to your elders. Um, so I, you'll, we'll have people that will come and say, I can't tell you who told me this, but, and I usually say, well, then I don't want to hear it. I mean, you can't tell me who told me. Then there's, there's a whole lot of context to that that I that I can't even bring to bear. But it is a, the the true principle that if you can keep that as tight as possible. So there's nothing wrong with asking for general counsel from another you know from another believer. Just be careful not to uh, to widen that scope um, whenever it's still just one on one. So in that case, I think it would be better to come to an elder or you know, a pastor where you, you don't have to remain. It doesn't have to remain anonymous, then so you can actually get the counsel. So if you're going to another church member, it may be general counsel, but even that sometimes people can figure out you know, because um, they kind of know who you're hanging around. And, and um, yeah, so... Yeah, use wisdom, for sure. All right, look at number two. Here's the group confrontation. At this point, church leadership is involved, um, and I don't know what statistics are. Again, vast, vast, vast majority, 8 out of 10, maybe 9 out of 10 uh, are solved in number one. Well, they don't even go beyond that. Um, Church leadership is involved. Two or three Christians are now addressing the sin and the lack of repentance, which is really the key, the refusal to, to hear. Um, sin may or may not be seen wider. Having additional witnesses brings weight and confirms. Um, weight on the event and the, and the previous one-on-one -on -one confrontation occurred without repentance. The fact of sin is confirmed in the, the group setting, more than one person. I don't think the two or three is like a magic number. You have to take two, you have to take three. It's, it's just more than, than you. Um, if the recipient is soft and penitent, then you have the opportunity to win back your brother. How precious it is when a person softens after receiving the the grace of, of confrontation. The recipient has greater opportunity for self-deception uh, due to a wider audience, and uh, there's a potential for uh, to be defensive. So let's kind of stop it there, because now from E through G, it's what happens if it's not working, and they start ramping it up, and they start stonewalling, you know, and otherwise. So A through, uh, through D... Is you know is the you're still on the positive side of you know of of li of, of listening. Um, so two or three Christians are now addressing the you know the sin and the you know the lack of repentance. Now you've had to widen the uh, the scope um, because of the you know the refusal to to hear. Remember what we said last time. Then I'll open it for questions. But remember what we said last time. This is not wooden, and there's not like a timeline. So this is fluid. And, you know, this whole process, it could take a year. It could take months. 
You know, and remember, the Lord is the one that, that grants somebody repentance, according to 2 Timothy. So servant of the Lord must not strive, must not fight, must not be argumentative, must be patient when wronged. Um, so sometimes when you're going to somebody, if they're, they're in sin or they're, they're deceived, they're, they may lash out, they, you know, they, who do you think you are? I mean, they may respond that way, you're, you, don't, you don't fight back, but you're able to, to instruct them, meaning, you know, brother, I'm not here to, I'm not against you, just, I just see this, harm your life, this is what scripture says, um, how can I help? I mean, you're just, and you may have to say that multiple times. Um, but then, Second Timothy says, if God, pre-adventure, uh, would grant them repentance unto the acknowledgement of the truth, having been taken captive by the devil to do his will. So in all sin, there's a, there's a, there's a level of deception. Sometimes they're self-deceived, sometimes they're deceived by other things. Satan is the, the father of deception, so it's not... You know, the devil's there, you know, pulling the strings, but he is in the sense of deceiving. So they've been taken captive by that lie. And, and because of that, they're doing his will rather than God's will. And so uh, the Lord's the one that grants them the, the change of mind and the eyes to see, whoa, I'm headed down a bad road here. How does God do that, though? He does it through somebody who is gentle, doesn't fight back, but is able to, to instruct them, clearly show them what Scripture says. I mean, that's your, that's your only weapon, is, is, is the truth. How you wield it, though, you know, is, is important you know, as well. So that's what's happening in the, in the process. If they refuse to do that, then the scope might be, might be widened. And I think we said last time, it's not like, well, I went to them last week one-on-one. They didn't listen. So this week, I'm going to get, you know, two deacons, and they're going with me. Next week, if that doesn't happen, we're going we're gonna to call a church meeting. I mean, that's not the way that it works. This is just, take the longer. I mean, the Lord's the one doing the work. You're just the tool in the process. So err to the side of, you know, of, of mercy. God's merciful with those who, who show mercy. Um, that doesn't mean, though, if, if there is a need to, uh, you know, to go in and to do something quickly, that might have to happen, too. You know, if, there, if there are a danger, we'll get to this later, if they're a danger to the flock, they're a danger to somebody else, there may need to be you know, immediate attention, immediate removal. And that's really where you need to get your elders involved to help you discern, you know, discern that process. Wife may need to leave. They need to be separated from a... From a husband in a in a bad situation, there, you know, there 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 might need to be somebody saying, "No, you can't come," because you're a danger to the rest of the of the flock. And you let the elders get involved in you know in, in doing that if they they refuse to hear. So, all right, questions? Yes, sir. Who you widen it with? Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, it can it can vary on case to case. I think that's why um, the church leadership, you know, might might be able to help you give give some ideas. Um, people that are in their immediate sphere that they may listen to, um, people that uh, you know that, that that are good peacemakers, you know, good confronters. Sometimes, I mean, if you enjoy confrontation, there's there's something wrong with you. Like if you you like doing that. So most of us are probably more tentative. 
And if you're not tentative about it, if there's not some angst in your heart, you know, and therefore the love of Christ has to overpower that, then you probably don't need to be the one going. <laughs> um, so it's a good thing that, that you're going, oh, it's hard, but I love them, man. This is going to hurt them. I mean, that's the kind of attitude that, that, that you go with. Um, so I, I would say maybe some, something that balances that. You want somebody that's in their immediate sphere, you know, if, if, if possible, and, and can confirm that. Mark? So find somebody else that needs to know. Ed? So Ed's bringing up, you know, a really good question, and so it kind of gets down in the weeds. Uh, you know, just as you wouldn't read this in a wooden way of step one, two, three, it's usually almost always not as easy as, oh, yeah, I see the sin, you know, right here's the evidence. Oh, yeah, I did that, you know. So you're going to have a lot of cases where somebody's caught in deception, and they're in this tangled web, and they're blind themselves, so you're bringing the light there. What, what do sinners do whenever the light comes? You know, we, we justify our sin. We, you know, we, we run from the light. And so you're bringing that in. It might, might hurt their eyes to begin with. So don't always expect somebody to go, oh, thank you that you love me so much, brother, that you're confronting me. You know? It might be, what are you talking about? Why? You know, so your first reaction uh, you know, may not be... A, may not be um, you know, just, just going along. And in other cases, like Ed's saying, it, it's not always that cut and dry. So the first thing I would say, in cases where it's not, you let God be the one who does the ultimate revealing. So if you go and you can't prove it, that's why you're saying things like, it seems like, you know, I, I noticed this, or no, this is plain, um, and if they just totally flat deny it, then and you can't, prove it clearly, then at that point, you know, you're backing up a little bit and, and you're praying and you're saying, Lord, you got to be the one that reveals this. Um, and the, the witnesses do help with that confirmation. So I think this is a principle that goes back to Deuteronomy. I think it's 19. Um, so they, it does have some roots in the Old Testament in the sense that, that a sin is confirmed by two or three witnesses. So there's a confirmation that's happening uh, that, yes, this is truly out of order. This is truly out of line with the Scriptures. And two, those, the, those other individuals are helping to discern, you know, and they're adding weight to the process. This is not just Ed's perspective. This is, this is truly contrary to Scripture, you know. And, and then it also uh, uh, widens the scope of, of the light that's allowed in uh, and sometimes the Lord uses that. I mean, we don't like to, you know, to, to be exposed, which is one of the reasons we, you know, we don't like anybody coming to us. And now there's, you've already come to me, and you disagreed. Then at that point, you're going to say, hey, it's possible. 
I mean, again, if it's one that's needed discerning. It's possible that I could be wrong here, you know, about this. Let's get Brother Rich, you know. Next week, we'll get Rich, and and uh, or let's get a couple other guys here. And if I'm wrong, I'd be happy to repent. But 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 if you are, then we obviously would want to need know that. And sometimes you you know that that widening of the scope um, just doesn't allow them to kind of give you the stiff arm as you're going by and keep on running, you know, into their sin. So that's the idea. I think in general, though, if it's something you can't prove and that they can deny, some things it's easy to prove. If you can't, then, then I'm praying. I'm still doing the confronting, and I can't force my way in there. I can't reveal what only God knows. Like, say, it's a motive issue. I'm asking God to reveal it. I'm asking God to, you know, to expose it, and he does. Um, sometimes it takes a while. So it's a confirmation that, yes, this is what the Scripture says. Yes, this is out of line for a believer. You know? uh, and it's also a mechanism to, to bring more light in and put more pressure on the situation. Witnesses of the confrontation, for sure. Yes. Yeah, that's a. Those are real. You mean you're you're talking real situations that 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 we go through. So, how would you handle that? The first thing I would be doing if I'm that wife is I want to have an attitude of of subordination. First uh, Peter three, clearly that's sin. You know, you dwell with your wife as a fellow heir of the grace of life, and and you're you're, you're treating her as Christ treats the church, and you know Jesus doesn't manhandle his bride. And so that clearly would be sin if you're, you're speaking in that way. And you could be blind to that. You know, you could come from, you know, that's the way you saw your dad talk to your mom. And so it could be a besetting sin. It's something that you're not even aware of. So First uh, Peter 3 says the way in which that she's going to get somewhere, she's appealing to God and while she's, she's, she's approaching him and coming to them. But it may be appropriate, sure, you know, the, the ultimate authority is not the man. The ultimate authority is Christ in the Word. And so that needs to be handled carefully because you can have, uh, you know, abuses of that the other way. But let's say it's, it's genuine. She, you know, she wants to honor her husband, wants to honor the Lord, and he just won't hear. Uh, then you're telling her uh, the same thing. Look, spirit of gentleness, you may be wrong. Like, you may think that he's really being nasty, when in reality, you know, he's not. And, and so uh, I could be wrong, but this is the way it feels, and, you know, this, this, this hurts me. And if you have a godly man, he's going to be saying, I would never want to do that. You know, please forgive me. Let's go talk to the pastors together. Uh, you know, because if I'm wrong, I'm happy to repent, you know. He's modeling for her what he would want her to do, which is if she goes there, 
and the pastor says, no, that's not how, you know, you're not being verbally abused. You're, you're just being overly sensitive. By him saying, yeah, let's go. If I need to repent, I'll repent, you know. He's modeling for her even in that moment how she should respond if the pastor's, you know, correct her. But let's say he won't. Just, no, I'm not going to talk to any pastor. You know, I'm, I'm the man of the house. Then, yeah, totally. Be totally appropriate because, uh, as a believer, um, because that will just fester and cause major problems later. So she would privately, she would tell her husband, I'm, I'm going to go talk to the pastors. I think that we need to, you know, to do that at that point. If he gets mad about it, then, uh, then he gets mad about it. That's something that would, would need to take place because that thing will come apart at, at some point. You know. um, but again, spirit of submission, uh, you know, not, not punching his buttons in the process. I mean, that's what a godly woman would do. But when you're hurt... You've been offended, you know, you, you typically have in that situation two ungodly people. And um, she's usually going, ah, you're telling me, you know, you're yelling at me, I'm going to go tell the pastors on you, you know. And now you've got a, a mess, which is a good mess. Because when, when, when sin happens and things get out of order, usually whenever we, we, we come for, 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 for help, um, Unfortunately, we almost always come for help. People almost always come for help when the wheels are completely off. You know, that's happened for 20 years, and then they come and say, fix me in five minutes, you know, in three counseling sessions, fix me. And um, that doesn't, it's not the way that, you know, that it works. So, go ahead. Keep probing. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, so there is, that's the reason we were talking like with Bobby. Um, we're talking believers, and we're talking within our local church because it says tell it to the church. So you can't tell it to the church at large, which some people practice that, all right, on the blogosphere. I'm going to tell it to the universal church how you offended me, and I'm going to call all of them to bear on your sin. You, know? you can't do that. This is your church in specific, particular. But you do have some responsibility to another believer extent that you're related to them, but you can only take that so far. So, um, and, and, and in that case, I'm laying it on them. You, you really need to go to your pastor, you know, about, about this. And, and those can get really sticky in the sense of, I mean, you have people that uh, are in other churches, um, and those other churches don't do discipline at all. Um, they don't even have a biblical view of sin, and so you're going to call up that pastor and say, hey, you know, Susie's my aunt, and I confronted her at Thanksgiving, and I really think you, need, you guys need to carry on this church discipline process. I don't know that I would do that. Somebody have a hand up, comment. Yeah, Dave? excellent yeah 
Yeah, I mean, Dave just hit on something that's, that is vital to say, and I probably just assumed it. It says, go to them. Confronting somebody with their sin over a text is not the way to do it, you know, or email. Um, I, I mean, I would even avoid a phone call. I think you need to go to them face to face, where they can get the nonverbals and the, the the facial expressions and the body language that goes that goes with it. You may send an email up front, um, so you, so they're not blindsided. I mean, this is not necessary, but sometimes preparing them. You know, where you're pouring your, you know, your 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 heart out a little bit. Uh, that's not necessary. I think, though, that in general, you want to go to them personally, face to face, talk to them, you know, privately in that way, because there's a lot that's missed and a lot that's misinterpreted, and you think you're totally clear. I mean, I can't tell you how many times personally I I have responded to an email, and I mean, like, wow, I'm just gushing in in love and care for this person and and they don't get that at all you know but if i'm looking at them in the eyes and they can see the you know the angst on my face and the the nonverbals then then that's communicating to them too they can hear the cadence and 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 um because humility when you're confronting is you know is, is huge so yeah i would not do it um if it's a big enough issue for you to confront them, then it's it's serious enough that you you know you, you have a face to face with them, you know, if possible. So. Yes, Matt. Would there be exceptions to that if the person doesn't live nearby? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, Matt says there are exceptions to that, sure. Yeah, situations where, and I would just do everything I could to get as much aspects of communication, you know, I'd bring, every, I'd bring all, all the arsenal to bear. <laughs> you know, if, if you can do that on a phone call, that's better than writing because they can now hear the inflection in your voice. Um, you know, it's hard though because you're not always articulate. Especially when you're emotional, so you know that's where going to a pastor, maybe helping you. Sometimes, if I would say, like, if I'm really concerned about this, I'm anxious about this, I'm going to even write it out. Okay, what exactly am I confronting them about? How would I introduce this? What would I say up front? You know, I'm going to start with myself, like Rich says, I've searched my own soul. You know, I'm, I'm making sure that there's you no know, logs in my own eye. Um, I'm acknowledging I'm just a sinner just like you, but I love you and love the Lord, I, it seems, it may. So I'm even thinking about, before I go in, how I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And usually it's like, you know, it's a bad analogy, I guess, maybe for like football game. Usually once that, uh, you know, the original kickoff happens and you make that statement, then the conversation is gonna is just gonna go, and you're gonna follow it. But that opening salvo, if you will, is is really important. Um, so, yeah, yeah, Ken. Yeah, yeah, Ken brought up a good point. So. 
whatever you say can and will be held against you in the court of public opinion or whoever else if they turn ugly, for sure, yeah. And you may have written, I've had this happen personally, you may have written ten emails, and the first nine are gushing care, and we love you, and we wouldn't want you know anything bad to happen to you, blah, 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 just... And the one that they share with somebody else to slander you is the tenth email, which was whenever you you had to you had to go, hey, you need to come in or we're going to come after you because we love you. You know, so selective you know information. So that's that's a really good, a really good point. But again, the most you know, your goal is not self-preservation. Your goal is to recover them. Just be wise. Um, in the way you say things and, you know, and, and how you say it. Um, and you trust the Lord. You're doing God's work you know, in that. You might not do it perfectly. The Lord's the one to recover them. The Lord's the one to grant repentance. You just do what you can do according to Scripture and love them in the process, and, and, uh, and God, will, God will bring them around. It's a beautiful thing whenever this happens and the person repents and they're reconciled you know, to other people or to the church. Glorious thing, glorious thing. Seen it happen many times. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Those are hard. Um, you know, that's definitely when you need the elders involved. So there's got to be some authority other than the witness and the witnesses. And sometimes that happens. The elders end up, you know, almost like a mediation in a sense in those. And, and uh, you know, usually it can be evident. But we've also had where we've told people, look, I'm not in your bedroom. She's saying you're a monster. You know, you're saying you're nice and not. We don't know. But God knows. So let's pray right now and call him as a witness to this and whoever, and ask the Lord, whoever, you know, is, 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 is either deceiving or not telling the truth here, that he will expose. And then I'm bringing all of those verses to bear. You know, it's a fearful thing, you know, um, to fall in the hands of a, of a living God. And then you pray, heaven down in front of them, Lord, expose this sin, whoever is trying to, you know, to, to shame your name. Bring your light. I pray Satan would be exposed. Reveal wherever he is. And you're praying that in, in front of them and trusting the Lord to do that. And I've seen that uh, take place a lot. Sometimes it takes a long time. I can remember a situation where my pastor, uh, there was a man who didn't even go to our church who sang in a trio. That's how simple and petty things can get. They were having a revival meeting. There was a church member that said, hey, won't you bring this trio in to sing at the revival meeting? The pastor said, uh, I'll call him. pastor called the guy, and the dates didn't sync up. He went back and told the other church member, pastor didn't call me, and he must not want me to sing, and it becomes this big, massive thing. He's accusing the pastor of lying in a business meeting. Nasty stuff. You know, the, the Baptist you know, business meetings where everything's going down. The pastor's going, I'm telling the truth. A year later, that man who was in the trio came to the pastor and asked his forgiveness for, for lying, and then that came out in the church. And It took a year 
before he was vindicated. And, the, you know, this guy was, you know, I think you're being deceptive, and then he's got his three or four people and those families, and there's division in the church. It's a work of Satan. But sometimes it, you know, it, it takes a while for it to, you know, be, be exposed. And sometimes you may never know this side of heaven. So you may not know what actually happened in that situation, but you will know the person by the fruits that come out of their life over a long period of time. So that statement, time and truth walk together, who's humble, who's not? Who's listening, who's not? Who's embracing the church, who's not? Who's walking in the truth over a period of time and who's not? And that's another way that that you may not know what happened but you can see the one who is yielding to the Lord and who is not, and then that's the situation. Because the elders don't always know. Like Ed's saying, you don't always know what's going on in this. And if you don't know, you don't know. You can all, you know the church is only called, you're only called as a believer to make a functional judgment, not a final judgment. Final judgment is the Lord. Only the Lord sees the motives and the hearts. He's the only one that was even there. But you're called as a believer and as a church and elders to make a functional judgment. Functionally, what does this look like based on the information you have? And then you're appealing to the Lord, acknowledging your, your, you know, your lack of it. So it's a great question. All right, well, we got more that uh, we'll, we'll pick, up, um, pick up next time. And, and uh, good, great discussion. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We surely don't have all the answers, but you do. And I thank you so much for uh, your word and these brothers. Uh, I th- just thank you for people. I'm thinking of them right now, seeing their faces, that in according to Scripture has confronted me in my life and have done it in, in a biblical way, sometimes even maybe not in a biblical way, but, but still is out of love. I'm so thankful for them. I praise you for them. I thank you that you love me enough to do that. And I pray that we would do that for, for each other. And um, we're so thankful for Christ. And I pray you'll bless these men as they go throughout the day. In Jesus' name, amen.